continue in our series examining the Ten Commandments, and we are on the Tenth Commandment. Um, as we've been going through this series, I have been mentioning mnemonic devices for us to remember what the commandments are, and rather than do them all, I'd like us just to um, go over the tenth one again. Each number has a word that rhymes with it, and then a mental picture. What rhymes with ten? Okay, last week I mentioned that den rhymes with ten, and if you think of den when you hear ten for the tenth commandment, you think of a 144-inch large screen television. Now, a lot of you that I realize that would not be the, the means necessary to get you to break this commandment. But just bear with me for a moment here. I don't think we have a place in our house big enough for one. <laughs> no, just kidding. Um, <clears throat> you think of a 144-inch large screen TV, and therefore, when we think of that, we are not to write covet. So the 17th verse of Exodus chapter 20 is this. You shall not cover your neighbor's house. You shall not cover your neighbor's, covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Let's join together in prayer. Dear Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is not powerless, but instead comes with the awesome power of Almighty God. We ask your Holy Spirit to prompt us through your word to examine our lives. We ask more than that, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would examine our lives, because we know that in our own power, examining our lives would be fruitless. With your Holy Spirit prompting us and pointing things out to us, Lord, we expect to see the sin in our lives so that we might repent of it and to see how you desire for us to walk in holiness and righteousness. Because that is what you desire from your people as we become more and more like our brother and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, as we examine your word together, I ask that my words might be faithful and true in keeping with your word because your word alone is holy, righteous, and just. In Jesus' name, amen. We began this examination last week. On the Tenth Commandment, what is coveting? Let me just go over some of the points that we looked at this last week as an introduction to this week. What is coveting? You have to have a definition for this because it's it's a sin of the mind. It is borne out in sins of action, but it begins and it ends as a sin of the mind. Coveting is not being satisfied with who you are and what you have, and wanting what someone else has and what they are. St. Augustine defines covetousness as desiring more than enough, desiring more than enough. Last week we looked at the evidence concerning covetousness, and we saw that coveting, although it's the tenth of the commandments, and although it's a sin of the mind, is not a small sin, an insignificant sin in any respect. We also examined the objects of our coveting, which are laid out very clearly in our passage in verse 17. And through that examination, we focused on those things that we are liable to envy, those things we are told specifically in Scripture by the Lord not to covet. And we looked as well at the broad field that these specific things encompasses. 
And today we continue to examine the sin of coveting. We look further at it. Why is it in the Ten Commandments? Let us see why God hates coveting. First, God's, God hates coveting because it demonstrates unthankfulness and ingratitude. <clears throat> it demonstrates dissatisfaction with the blessings and the, the enough, the enough that he has already provided us with. God knows that this is something that his people will do. He warns us against it even as he warned the Israelites against it. In Deuteronomy 31.19, he told the people this. Now write down for yourselves this song and teach it to the Israelites and make them sing it so that it may be a witness for me against them. When I have brought them into the land flowing with milk and honey, the land I promised on oath to their forefathers, and when they eat their fill and they thrive... They will turn to other gods and worship them, rejecting me and breaking my covenant. Isn't it interesting that at the point, God is telling the Israelites, at the point that you become fat, you are going to turn away from me. At the point in which you have eaten your fill and you have gotten what I promised you, that is the point at which you are going to say, bye-bye. Thanks, I've had enough. Numbers 21.4 we read this about the Israelites. And this is a constant refrain about the Israelites. They traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom. And this, you understand, is, is beyond the point at which God had opened the Red Sea for them and, and brought them out in a great deliverance from the Egyptians, killing all their enemies at that point. <clears throat> but the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the desert? There is no bread, there is no water, and we detest this miserable food. <laughs> um, in many ways, it's laughable. Um, it's laughable because it isn't speaking of us. We look at the Israelites, and the, the constant refrain throughout the story of the Exodus is their dissatisfaction, their griping, their complaining. God gave them manna. They said, we don't have any food. He said, fine, here's some food. All you have to do is go out and collect it. You don't have to plow. You don't have to thresh. Go out and collect it, and you have your food. On many occasions, Moses was told to bring water out of the rock or to make water pure or do many things that would enable the people to have what they needed to drink. But the people again and again, this isn't good enough. I'd like it a little better, please. Can't you see to what I want? God hates coveting because it demonstrates unthankfulness and, and ingratitude. It is people's demonstration of the fact that they are not happy. They are dissatisfied with what he has given them. Now, if you've ever... Think about the times when you've been on the giving end. The time when you have given someone a gift. Someone in your family or someone close to you. Maybe under all those circumstances you've been blessed to receive gratitude in return. What happens in your heart and in your mind if you don't? A steal enters in. <laughs> like, if you don't like this, then I won't give you anything. <laughs> so this is our personal reaction to this. Should it be any wonder that the God of the universe who can give everything or withhold everything should be 
angered by dissatisfaction on the part of people to the blessings he gives. Think of the example in the New Testament where Christ healed ten lepers and they all went away from him and they were healed and only one came back. And Jesus said, where are all the rest? Were they not healed as well? Yet only one came back to give thanks. One out of ten. Gratitude, ten percent. Why else does God hate coveting? Because it leads us away from him through distraction, lust, and longing. Think of the parable of the sower and the seed of God's word. In Matthew 13. In verse 7 we read this. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants. And then continuing on to verse 22 where the Lord explains it. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. What is happening in that situation is clear. The people who have received the word as seed that fell among thorns receive it, welcome it, But then they are so worried about all these other things, coveting being a part of these other things, concerns for the things of the world. How can I get what I want? What do I want? What does he have that I would like? That it causes them to turn away from God, and it causes them to turn to embrace those distractions, those personal lusts, those longings, those things. Oh, I wish I had that. But it does more than... Do that, it takes us on a path to destruction. First Timothy six nine speaks explicitly of this. People who want to get rich fall into temptation. Well, temptation. It can be right or wrong, right? If you get out of it, it it's okay. But this passage goes on to say, people who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. The passage from Matthew speaks clearly to this as well. It's telling us that covetousness is something that causes us not only to turn away from God, because we say, oh, hold it, I've got too many other things to worry about. I'd like this, I'd like that. I wish this were going right for me. I wish I could have what he or she has. And as a result of turning away from God, we go down the path to spiritual destruction. We continue down the path to spiritual destruction. God also hates coveting because it demonstrates selfishness, not selflessness. What is the main theology concerning Christ in the New Testament? Theological statement, like we sang here prior to the message. Philippians 2, it's called the Kenosis passage. It speaks specifically about Christ. Kenosis means to empty. And so this passage is speaking of Christ emptying himself of all of his glory. He gave it all up. He had everything. And he said, put this aside. I have something more important to do. And as a result, he came here and was born as a helpless infant and lived among us and was willing even to die. And as the passage says, not any old death, the worst possible death of his time, death on the cross. A righteous, completely righteous man, crucified. And so if this is Christ's example, emptying himself, imagine how much he detests it 
When people demonstrate covetousness, which is not emptying ourselves, but trying to fill ourselves, trying to put selfishness in first place, not giving. Our selfishness not only damages our relationship with the Lord, it also damages our relationship with people around us. As, as I was looking through this passage, there, were, there are so many biblical examples of, of coveting and the fruit that it brought about in the lives of those in Scripture. Excellent examples. In the New Testament, an example of coveting, James and John, they came up to Christ and they said, do whatever we ask you. That's a childhood game, right? You say, now, promise me that you'll do whatever I ask you to do. <laughs> you don't grow very old, or, or at least you, if you have siblings, you don't grow very old before you say, hold it. <laughs> we don't work that way. <clears throat> James and John's request, of course, was that they be allowed to have the right and the left hand seats by Christ in heaven. Well, this is a great request. Which one of us would not want this, right? But by their secrecy and by their method of doing this, they were seeking to take something for themselves because they coveted. They didn't want anybody else in that position. And you remember exactly what happened when the other ten realized of what they had been um, talking with Jesus about. They were furious. What's going on here? Are you trying to take my seat? Well, who knows what they were thinking about, but they were very upset. James 4.2 tells us more about how <clears throat> this demonstration of coveting as a demonstration of selfishness affects our personal relationships. You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. And that's not the end of the verse, but it just illustrates how coveting is tied up in this whole bundle of selfishness which destroys interpersonal relationships. This past week, I had a, had a conversation with someone I've never met before on the phone. Um, and I realized in the course of the conversation that th- there was a Freudian slip made by the person that I was talking to. And in the course of the conversation, I realized that coveting was a large part of the motives for what he and I were discussing, what was going on with him. And the, the, the reality of selfishness becomes so obvious in these circumstances. And in this circumstance which I was discussing with him, it was so obvious how it, it had destroyed his relationship with another person. In selfishness, what happens is we do not wish to serve or give to others, but instead we wish to take their place, to take what is theirs and to make it ours. We are not thankful when coveting has taken hold of us because of its selfish nature. We are not thankful for what our brother has. We are envious of him. We're thinking only of ourselves our own wants, our desires, and not of others. When was the last time that you confronted someone with being selfish? Now, as I was looking at this and and considering it, something that became clear to me, I don't know if I'm unusual in this regard, but of all the things that you can confront a person with 
if it's a problem, selfishness is at the very bottom. It is, it, it, it is so obvious, and yet it is so basic. I, for myself, am very hesitant ever to confront someone with selfishness because it is such a raw demonstration of putting self before others. I don't know if you have a problem confronting people with selfishness as I do, but it's such a basic thing. How do you point it out? And yet it's so obvious of all the other things, it's clear. You can see it when it's there. God hates coveting because it is used as a means of justifying further sin. All the biblical examples show this with regard to the sins mentioned in the Ten Commandments. But we see also in Scripture that those who begin with coveting follow this with graver sins. This is a sin of, a mind, of the mind, the heart of the soul. I want what someone else has. I want something to keep someone else from getting it. <clears throat> An example of coveting as a means of justifying further sins is Satan who we believe from scriptural evidence was once an angel of light and is presumed from some scriptural evidence, for instance, Isaiah 14.12, to have coveted the very throne and power of God himself. What has come of this? What has come of this is he has taken, taken under his control all sins and he has made sin his very nature. There is nothing that he is not a part of that is sinful. Beginning, we believe from Scripture, as a result of his wanting what was God's alone, God's power, God's throne. What is the outcome of coveting? Thomas Watson, in his examination of the Ten Commandments, says a covetous man or woman is like a bee that gets into a barrel of honey and there drowns itself. Like a bee that gets into a barrel of honey and then drowns itself. Coveting looks so tempting, but it is so deadly. Again, the 1 Timothy 6, 9 passage. The ultimate end of coveting and all the things that are tied up in it is that men are plunged into ruin and destruction. We read throughout the example of the exodus of the Israelites. When the people coveted and they demonstrated their coveting through griping and complaining... On various occasions, God had had enough. One of those is in Numbers 21.4. What I already read part of it. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the desert? There's no bread, there's no water, and we detest this miserable food. In verse 6 then, we read, Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people. Many Israelites died. Seems like just such a little thing. To want what someone else has. To be dissatisfied with what I have. And yet the end of it is physical and spiritual death. Coveting causes many disorders and is tied up in many disorders, grasping and greed, the rot of jealousy and envy and the desperate actions that they cause, unhealthy and unchecked ambition, complaining, discontent, and disillusionment with what you have. One of the... the, very illustrative stories about the Israelites and their complaining is from Numbers 11.4. 
The rabble with them began to crave other food, and again the Israelites started wailing and said, If only we had meat to eat. And then they go and list their grocery list. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. I had a friend who uh, used to like to tell about recipes and things he liked to eat. <laughs> you could just see it with them listing these things. They're envisioning the pot steaming and the smells and the aroma coming up. Oh, but here we just have this miserable manna. And there, there were those beautiful pots and that food. We didn't have to buy it even. It was free. <laughs> Chronic unhappiness. The amazing thing about coveting is so clearly illustrated in that passage. Did they forget? Had they forgotten? They didn't buy it? They didn't buy it? How was it they hadn't bought their food in Egypt? I thought, weren't they slaves in Egypt? <laughs> They've forgotten something. And so coveting is so frequently mixed up and confused. A time in which people get fouled up in their wishes and their desires and they forget the reality and instead they're eaten up with chronic unhappiness and an emptiness that cannot be filled. <clears throat> How else do you describe the insatiable appetite for the lottery, for instance, in our culture? Our culture and our nation have elevated greed into a national pastime which is illustrated everywhere from the publisher's clearinghouse, stomping on feet here, through to the gambling houses and casinos of Atlantic City and many, many other cities and rivers and places in our nation. Look, for instance, at how greed has been elevated to a national pastime in personal injury suits. In Bristol, in any place you go, big ads on billboards. Have you been injured? Come to me, I'll get you money. In the yellow pages. What is this but coveting? <clears throat> That's all it is. These are attitudes which are illustrated again in actions. <clears throat> no time for God because what we want is taken over our lives and possessed us. No time for our families because what we want is always elusive and just within our grasp if we work just a little bit harder for it. No time for those things and people who are even admittedly so, as we are willing to state, those people who are, are our primary goals in life because we have other pressing calls from goals that lord it over us despite the fact that they have much less importance. Making a name for ourselves or building our profession, achieving financial security, being considered a success, being satisfied and pleased with our own accomplishments and performance. <clears throat> what further results do we get from coveting? What is its outcome? Again, it's the commission of other sins. Coveting also results in our putting aside worthy pursuits. Now, this is the message of Scripture. We cannot just clean the house. The story of the demons being cast out of a man, as Jesus spoke in the parable in the New Testament. We can't just clean the house and then expect it to remain clean. It has to be filled with good and godly things, those things of holiness. <clears throat> and coveting results in not only the dirtiness, 
remaining in our house, but it results in our pushing aside those things that are worthy of our attention. We see this in the parable of of the seed that fell among the thorny ground. We see this as well in the parable of the man who God gave a bountiful harvest. He received a bountiful harvest and he got so much in this harvest, he said, "Ah, this is great. If only I could store it just a little bit better. Hmm, store it a little better. Hmm, these bonds I have, they're a little outdated. I'd like bigger ones and better ones. I'll build them. And so in his mind, he was greedy and he coveted this different situation in which he had barns to be filled with all of this grain that God had given him. And he spent all of his time thinking about building bigger and better barns. And as a result, he gave up what was most important and what would count that night was the pursuit of salvation for his soul. What would you rather have, bigger or better barns or heaven? That was what it cost him. How do we avoid coveting? Practical steps. How do we avoid coveting? You and I must be at peace with what we have and who we are. Christ tells us this in Matthew 6, verses 25 and following. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Skipping on down to verse 32. For the pagans run after all these things. What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Etc. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. You and I need to be at peace with what we have. This means that you and I need to realize the grass isn't greener. The saying, grass is always greener. It isn't greener. Because God has put us in the field where we are. You and I need to be content, not only at peace, but also content with any and all circumstances, relying upon the Lord to supply all our needs. Philippians 4.11, I'm not saying this because I am need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances, Paul writes. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Oftentimes we say, but I can't be content with this situation. What is the answer to that from this passage? I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Often people covet because they are in the midst of trying circumstances, such as the Israelites in the Exodus. When in difficulties, you and I must stand firm and await the deliverance of the Lord, because he is the one who has the way out. What else should we do in order to foil coveting? We should ask the Lord for what we want and need. Go to him. Something troubling you or me? We would like this or that. James 4, 2. You want something but don't get it. You kill and covet but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. What's the solution? You do not have because you do not ask God. If you and I are not at peace because of a situation which is leading us to envy, greed, and covet, ask God for it. 
Now, <laughs> the other side of it is very clearly in Scripture that God will give us what is best for us and not everything we insist upon. But we must ask Him. <clears throat> what else to avoid coveting? You and I need to search out, prioritize, and pursue our God-given goals. We need to promote first things first. Example after example is given to us in Scripture of how we need to promote first and foremost our salvation, to pursue this goal, our salvation, the salvation of our soul, and then the ranking of priorities that God has given us in Scripture. God clearly sets out those priorities that are to characterize all of His children. And you and I must make sure that nothing of lesser importance sways us from them. Because that is so frequently what happens in coveting. That is what so frequently happens with us men in relation to our families. We get involved in our job, our occupation, our pursuit, and we say, boy, I'd like to move just a little, just a few notches further up. I'd like to gain this. And as a result of pursuing that goal, we become possessed by it and we drop the importance of our family, time spent with our family, putting our lives into them because we have wound up coveting something. We have wanted something that's valuable but has so much less value than our families. Women as well. Frequently. Women and men in families covet what? Financial status or some of these other things. And as a result, women wind up going out and spending their time pursuing an occupation rather than putting their time into their children. Sometimes it's necessary for financial reasons. But this is where I say you and I must prioritize our goals and pursue God-given goals, not Nathan-given goals. <clears throat> the example of this is from Luke 10.40. Jesus was visiting Mary and Martha. Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to Christ and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will, be not taken, it will not be taken away from her. <clears throat> That's a beautiful story. If we pursue those things that should be our priorities, this will do much to take away our coveting of other people's position or situations. You and I need to make ours lives of service rather than selfishness. What I would challenge you with with regard to this is figure out how to do this. Figure out who the Lord is calling you to serve and how he wants you to do it and write it down today. And finally, you and I must make sure that we do not encourage coveting in ourselves, in others, and discourage it in ourselves. We have to shut our ears to it. We have to refuse to be associated with those who covet. The example from Exodus is given about <clears throat> Korah's rebellion. What happened in Korah's rebellion was Korah and others who were with him coveted Moses' position and Aaron's position. And the short end of the story was that God destroyed them by having them swallowed up in the ground and burned 
by fire from heaven. Now what Moses said to the people before this happened was, move away from them. <laughs> I like that advice, wouldn't you? Well, hindsight is twenty twenty vision. <laughs> move away. Yeah, how far? <laughs> but in this circumstance, when we're in a situation where someone else is coveting, we frequently don't think about that. Remember the example. It's reiterated throughout Scripture. Do not get involved with people who covet. And when coveting comes to you, refuse to listen to it when it starts whispering in your remove whatever means you take whatever means you have to to remove it. Let's pray. Dear Father, we pray that you would teach us about coveting from your holy word and through your Holy Spirit. We might not covet, but instead walk in righteousness being glad and grateful for all that you have given to us and being glad and grateful for what you have given to those around us, encouraging them in their walk to holiness and walking in righteousness ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen.